the time is sitting under his desk playing. So here's John Kennedy in the Oval Office. He's, he's the most powerful man in the world, the President of the United States. And this little kid is just playing at, at, at his feet. Uh, you know, most of us will never have the opportunity to sit in the Oval Office and, and sit at the President's feet. Uh, I, I suppose that uh, the people who do get to go into the Oval Office are maybe uh, powerful people, maybe uh, very wealthy people, uh, maybe celebrities, entertainers, but, uh, you know, probably none of us will, will ever have that, that privilege. Um, even, even when people visit there, I imagine their, their stay is, is very brief. You know, probably a lot of people shuffle in, in and out. But here's this child, three years old, playing there, free access to the most powerful man in the world. Free access. Just because he's the president's son. Uh, it's not because he, he earned this privilege. It, it was not because he was a really good person and you know somehow slipped into that, that position, but he had it by birth. His, pres- his father was the president. And so this, this brings us to um, our relationship with God. If, if we've been born again, born of the Spirit, our Father is, is God. What, what an amazing thing. And, and really, it's, that, that's even a better picture than, than that one I was talking about. But you know, the, uh, the word Father, I think, evokes a lot of different uh, emotions in, in us and in different people. I, th- I think probably most of us had pretty good fathers, fathers who, who cared for us and, and nurtured us and taught us and, and disciplined us when, when we needed it. It's not like that for everyone, though. Many, many of us also had, had fathers who might have been abusive or fathers who might have been absent, fathers who were there but not really emotionally absent. You know, I think that uh, the, the word father for, for a lot of people evokes uh, maybe, maybe feelings of, of anxiety or, or depression or, or maybe even uh, anger or, or resentment. The thing is, all, all human fathers are imperfect to one degree or another, for good or bad. And many times, I think our image of God, how we look at God is influenced by the image that we had and have of our father. You know, even uh, people in their, their 60s and 70s many times will allow their view of of. God, who is our heavenly father, a good father to be maybe a little bit uh, distorted by bad experiences from their father. And by the way, fathers, that's, that's a call for us to be good fathers because that will help our children in their, in their relationship and their, their closeness to, to our heavenly father. 
Well, over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at uh, some of the names of Jesus from Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. We're, we're on number three now. The first time was uh, Wonderful Counselor. Second was uh, Almighty God, or Mighty God. And today we're going to look at Everlasting Father. We're going to look at how Isaiah used this word, this, this name for Jesus, ever, or Everlasting Father, to show us the fatherhood of, of God. And he helps us to really see the true meaning. When we look in the Bible, we're going to um, see a lot, of, a lot of different images, a lot of different uses of, of the word father. But uh, what I want to do first, my first main point is something we need to clear first. And that is that Isaiah, in this, in this name that he gives to the Messiah, is not confusing the first two members, the first two persons of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are, are distinct, but they're one. And it's hard for us to get our, our minds around that, to be sure. And so that's, <laughs> that's why this sermon, I think, of, of the uh, four names, this one's the most challenging for us. And I've talked to a lot of people who've really gotten kind of hung up on this. And we see through church history that uh, some, some errors have been made in the way we look at the, uh, the Godhead, the persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So first I want to point out that Isaiah is not confusing the first two members of the Trinity, God the Father and, and God the Son here. You know, how is it, we need to ask, how is it that this Son, this child who's given to us by the Father, himself is called Father, Everlasting Father, that seems like kind of a, a paradox, kind of a, a mystery. And it is a mystery. But, you know, how can the Son be the Father? We need to be careful here. We need to be very careful. Uh, I, Isaiah was not making a proposition about the Trinity. We need to get this out of the way. He's not saying that the Son is the Father, this, the Father is the Son. That actually was... Uh, a heresy that was condemned in the early church. It was a heresy called modalism, which says that uh, God is one single person who just manifests himself in different forms. That's called modalism, where you know God presents himself, himself in different modes. That's not true. And we see that in the, in the Bible, I think very clearly in the... Uh, uh, the, the account of uh, Jesus being baptized by John, remember that? What happened? You know, John the Baptist was baptizing Jesus, and the, it said the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, descended on him like a dove. And then what happened? The Father. The Father spoke. What did he say? Yes, this is my son and who I'm well pleased. And remember, he said that again on the uh, Mount of Transfiguration. Remember what we talked about with these names. And there are many, many, many names given to Jesus. These are just four of them. But remember what a name is in the Bible, in the scripture. A name 
reveals the, uh, the character of a person, reveals the characteristics of a person. And that's what Isaiah is, is doing here. What he's saying is this Messiah, this child who will be called Everlasting Father, this child is going to reveal the fatherhood of God. He's going to uh, speak of, of his relationship with the Father of, and their unity. Remember, Jesus and the Father, the Son and the Father are one. In, in John 14.8, 4, we have this passage that says, um, let's see, 14.8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. And Jesus said, if I've been with you so long that you still do not know me, Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So we see the Father revealed in the Son here. He, he goes, how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his, uh, does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. And we see elsewhere that the uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are distinct. So there's this, this oneness that we see, but there's also a distinction. You know, and this can be confusing if we think in terms of the Trinity when we, when we read this, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All three are God, but the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. They're one, yet they're distinct. So let's look at how the word Father is used in the Bible. I think this will help shed some, some light on this. The, the word father is used in many different ways, and, and let's, look at, let's look at a few. First, the, the word father is used in the Old Testament to describe kings. You know, a good king is going to be a king, a person who is over the people, who's a protector of the people. Uh, for instance, Isaiah uses the word in, in Isaiah 22, verses 20 through 22. In this day, I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe, and I will bind your sash on him and will commit your authority to his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judea, and I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. So we see this king being called the father of of God's people. He's not their biological father but he's their father because he rules over them. Father can also be used to denote a, a, a founder of the people, a founder of a people. And we, uh, we, we see this uh, even in the United States, right? Go to Google and type in father of the United States. Who's going to come up? Yeah, you'll probably see George Washington first, but you'll also see the, the other founders, those who were there at the birth of the country. These, these are called the fathers of, of the nation. And if, if, if you go to uh, church history, you hear about the apostolic fathers, those who laid the foundation for the church. 
You know, they, they were there with Jesus as the cornerstone, founding a people, a new people, the, the church. Um, we can see that, according to the Apostle Paul, that Abraham not only was the father of the Jews, and he was the biological father for them, but he, Paul says that he was Abraham is our father as as Christians as as believers. Romans four three says, "For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God; it was counted to him as righteousness." Right, and then in Romans four sixteen through seventeen, this is why it depends on faith that in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the inher- adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all. Uh, I don't know if you, you guys know that little kid's song, you know, Father Abraham. And me sons, me sons, and Father Abraham. I'm, okay, uh, that's where this comes from. You know, uh, 17 is as written, I've made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. How else is father used? It's used in the Bible to, of course, describe God. Isaiah 64, 8 says, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We're the clay and you are the potter. We're the work of your hand. And also in Isaiah 63, 16, for you are our father, Though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our Father, our Redeemer from old, of old is your name. And so this, this brings us to the question about the Messiah, this child, this, this gift that the Father is, is sending to us. How is Jesus, how is the Messiah our Father? How is it that the Son would be father that's that's the big question here well first isaiah is highlighting the divine nature of jesus you know jesus came as a baby he grew up into a man he was fully man yet he was fully god fully god and this is this is the most important point for us to observe you know, it's, it's of, of utmost importance that we realize who Jesus Christ is. And uh, this is where the cults get it wrong. If you, if you think about the cults, that ought to be the first. In fact, if you wonder if some uh, group of people who claim even to be Christian are orthodox or if they are cults, look at what they say about Jesus. Look at how they look at Jesus. Um, you know, it's, it's easy for us when we, when we think about cults to think of the quirky things that, that people do in these, in these religions, you know, maybe, maybe they, um, send out 18 year olds who are called elders to knock on your doors. Uh, maybe they, maybe they kill people in the name of God, uh, Maybe they believe that the material world is just an illusion. 
in which we fall victim to suffering and, and sickness and uh, that, that matter itself really isn't real. There's a cult that believes that. But the root is always wrong thinking about who Jesus is. You know, Jesus wasn't just a man. I knew, I knew a guy in college. He, he was a psychology major. And he said, you know, I think Jesus was just a very well-adjusted individual. And in his mind, that's, that's as far as he could think about Jesus. He had it together. Jesus wasn't just a, a prophet. Though he was a prophet, though he was a man, he wasn't just a, a very wise person that had some really good ideas on how we should behave and how we should be good. Uh, he, he wasn't just a rev, revolutionary figure that uh, failed because he was killed. Sometimes people say that. And that, you know, his, his disciples, in order to uh, kind of recover from, from this loss, just made up these, these mythical stories you know, there, there, there was a, a book written about that, about how uh, Constantine in the year 400, in order to consolidate his political power, adopted this religion and, and picked and chose from different uh, writings and, you know, made Jesus into this, uh, this God figure and, and that his disciples never really wanted that. But that's false. We, we have... <laughs> We've got the scriptures, that, writings from the apostles that were written very shortly after uh, Jesus' uh, ascension. Uh, you know, he, he wasn't a, a mythical figure along with uh, Zeus and, and Neptune, those gods in the, the Greek and Roman Empire. Uh, you know, he isn't a god with with a little g, a, a god among other gods. He's, he's not an angel. He's not even an archangel, as some believe. Angels are created beings. Uh, you know, there, there are a lot of ideas, a lot of false ideas that are believed and taught, and they get it wrong about Jesus. They all get it wrong. Now, we mentioned last week that the New Testament identifies um, Christ as being eternally existent. In Colossians, we read that uh, Jesus was creator, right? Uh, in John 1, we, we read that last time. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So both John and Paul, and, and Paul are saying this. Well, Isaiah speaks of God as the uh, creator father who molds us and, and makes us. In Isaiah 64, 8, he says, But now, O Lord, you are our father. You are the clay, 
you are our potter and we all are the work of your hand. John goes on to speak of of the glory of, of the Christ who came to earth. You skip forward or move forward to verse 14. Uh, the word became flesh. The word is talking about Jesus. And, and he dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The, the fact that the, the Messiah was, was divine is verified in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 1.3, when it says that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. You know, the, the writer of Hebrew begins that book saying, you know, in, in the past God revealed himself kind of indirectly through the prophets, through the writings, he you know, manifest himself this way and that. But now he, now the writer says he's revealed himself in, in Jesus Christ. So this, this explains why Jesus said in John 14, 9, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And it's because Jesus so precisely represented God as Father that Isaiah prophesied this name that Jesus would be called, Everlasting Father. How else is Jesus, how else does Jesus reveal the fatherhood of God? He reveals himself as, as a nurturer. You know, just as a good father nurtures his sons and daughters and even, you know, teaches them and, and disciplines them when necessary, Jesus loves and cares for his own. Uh, Jesus uses a different word picture to, uh, to describe this. Uh, for, for instance, in John 14, he talks about himself as, as the good shepherd, caring for the sheep, watching over them, feeding them, keeping them uh, safe from harm. Uh, Jesus demonstrates his character as, as father because... In the same way, he intends to instill his character and his values in his children, just as a good father does. Uh, This verse, this next verse, go ahead. Yeah, have you not forgotten the exhortation? that addresses you as as sons. It says, My sons, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Uh, Hebrews 12, 5 through 7, along that same vein, uh, continues that. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And then when we look in Revelation, there's another verse that uh, really drives that point home. Revelation 3.19, those who I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and, and repent. So God cares about 
our nature. Jesus cares about who we are. He wants to see his own character uh, manifest itself in, in us. You know, this is, this is the nurturing care that Jesus is, is concerned about towards his uh, disciples when he uh, says to them in John fourteen eighteen, 18, uh, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. And in that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Let's keep moving along here. How else is... How else does Jesus uh, represent the fatherhood of of God? Uh, Well, first of all, uh, Jesus is first among those who will be resurrected. You know, the the firstborn of of the dead, the the ruler of kings on earth. We read in Revelation 1.5. So, you know, in a a sense, Jesus is a a father of, of the risen, those who've been those who've died and, and uh, are resurrected. Also, Jesus is the founder of the church. Uh, he's, he's the father of the church in, in the sense that he is the one who established it. Remember, we talked about a, a founder of a people. You know, with, without Jesus, there would be no church. Jesus is the head of the church. Uh, how else? Je- Jesus shows us the, the love of the Father. Uh, you know, the, uh, the Apostle John was just totally overwhelmed uh, by the love of God, our Father. First uh, John 3, 1 through 2 says, See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. This is the uh, New Living Translation I'm I'm reading here. The people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. So through Jesus, the love of, the, of God, the Father, is revealed to us. You know, God, God uh, is our Father. He loves us, and Jesus helps us to recognize that. He helps us to see the, the love of, of the Father who is always available, the, the Father who we can go to with our needs uh, Jesus told his disciples in, in, in Matthew 6, 9, through this model prayer, the, the Lord's Prayer, it's, it's often called. He says, you know, the, the Father knows your needs before you even bring them to him. And then he says, pray like this. Pray like this. How does it start? Our Father, our Father, Yes. He taught us God's fatherly provision. Uh, 
In verses 31 through 33, he says, uh, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So, uh, we've scratched the surface here, uh, but uh, when Isaiah, in his book, chapter 9-6, says that Jesus will be called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, uh, he's not saying that Jesus is, is God the Father, the first person of the Trinity. He's... He's saying that Jesus, God the Son, has the characteristics of the Father. Jesus points us to the Father. He, he teaches us and helps us see the fatherhood of, of God. It's saying that, that Jesus, this, this Messiah, has... The, the imprint, the, the characteristics of God, his, his attributes, and including eternality. Uh, we, we see in Jesus the, the fatherhood of God. We, we see the characteristics of a, of a loving and good and compassionate father who cares about us. Jesus is the creator of all things. We owe our very existence to him. Paul in Colossians by the way, says that uh, not only did Jesus create everything, but it's he who holds things together. So he's actively involved in our affairs down to the very last detail. That's how much he cares uh, for us. It's, it's through Jesus that we've been brought into the, the family of God. Uh, our, our sonship, you know, becoming sons and daughters of, of God or because of him. That's our starting point when we believe in him, in Jesus for our salvation. You know, it, that has a definite beginning, doesn't it? Our, our rebirth, born again by the Spirit. But it's forever. It has no end. Uh, he's, he's the everlasting father for his love for us, no, no limits. You know, his, his love for us has no boundaries. It's, it's everlasting. No boundaries, even, even time. So, you know, John, John Kennedy Jr., John John, he was, he was called, had, had access to the most powerful man in the world. Uh, daily audience with, with the President of the United States. Uh, not because he earned that right, not because he paid for that right, not because he was better than the other kids in the country, but because the president was his father. It was that birth relationship. Likewise, we have access to the father through Jesus. And it's because this child was born. It's because this, this son was given. This is, this is such, a, such a great reason for us to celebrate this, uh, this Christmas season, this Advent season. We're going to be taking communion in a little bit. And uh, what did Jesus say? He said, when you, 
when you do this, do this in, in remembrance of me. And so we, we remember Jesus. And I want, as we do communion, I would ask that we consider that, that we remember Jesus as this gift. This child who was born, who would be called Emmanuel, God with us. You know, that Jesus' coming brought God's presence to us. He was the image of the Father. In Hebrews 4.16 says, um, Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and, and find grace to help in time of need. And as we, as we take communion in a little while, let's, let's each of us do this. Let's, let's approach God. Let's, let's enjoy his presence. He's, he's here. And remember the gift of this child, of this son, but also the gift of uh, forgiveness that Jesus gave us purchased through his, his blood for, on our behalf for our sins. Yeah, Jesus, uh, being called everlasting father, no beginning, no end. It's a mystery, even, even still. Unlike Unlike uh, human fathers, he'll, he'll never walk out on us. He'll never mistreat us. <laughs> he promises never to be absent, right? He says, I will be with you always. His, his motives are pure. Uh, his desire is to have children who, who are pure, children who will be holy just like he is. And his love is, is with us forever. Uh, the everlasting father. Let's pray. Um, Lord God, we thank you for the, the gift of your son, for the gift of eternal life, for the, uh, the, the gift of, of new birth, uh, adoption into your family, Lord, because of the son who was given for us. Thank you, Lord, for so great a salvation as this. And I just ask you, Lord, that uh, we would walk in a manner that uh, reflects your, your character and, and your image, Lord. Uh, work mightily in us, in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, let the things we do, the things we think and, and say uh, be done to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. For the benediction, I would like to read a couple verses out of Psalm 145, starting in verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. 
The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He he hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will will speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Amen.